Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week five of our series, That You May Believe, A Journey Through the Gospel of John, and we are joined this week by our good friend from the Urban Impact Foundation, the Reverend Dr. Ed Glover. He'll be preaching from John chapter five, wherein Jesus performs a healing at the Pool of Bethesda. Here is Pastor Ed with his message. Thank you for listening. You know, it's pastors, it's really exciting, exciting to see one of you. It's one of you that read that word today. It's it's awesome. You know, the church also wanted me to to highlight something before we we began. It's about Man Up Pittsburgh. Man Up is something that Urban Impact does in the city of Pittsburgh, and it's going to happen on June 10th. Can you say that with me? June 10th. And you can go online right now and get the early bird registration. That's why we want you to know it's only for a short period of time. So you can go online, www.manuppittsburgh, all one word, .org, and sign up. Also, there's going to be cards out at the missions table as well as the information table. Look like this. we got a great lineup. We have Coach Tomlin. We have Coach uh, Hurdle. We also have Tunch coming back. We have John Guest and Pastor Jared. We also have, uh, let's see, Rock Dilliman. We have people like John Nuzzo and Bruce Bickle. I can go on and on. And all kinds of speakers there helping us men to man up, if you will. To love our wives, love our kids, and impact the fatherless in our communities as well as in the city of Pittsburgh. So I encourage you to come and be part of it. If you're 15 years old and up, you can register today. All right, with that being said, let's get into our passage this morning. It's found in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And the title of our sermon is called Healing the Sick. Healing the Sick. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for this opportunity to open up the Word of God together. And I would ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me of my sin and that you'd fill me with your spirit so that you would speak to your people. And Lord, you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. And we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we've been studying the book of John, and we've already moved through four chapters. And in those four chapters, there's two miracles so far. We've seen two of them. The first one is... The healing, no, not a healing. The water and the wine at a wedding. The second miracle that we find is in in the Gospel of John. John, we find there that Jesus heals a nobleman's son. And when he heals him, he doesn't literally go over and physically touch the boy. He simply just says a word and the man's son is healed. 20 miles from where, where Jesus was located. Now we move into chapter 5 and we find a third miracle. The third miracle of eight miracles, if you will, in the Gospel of John. Moved by the Holy Spirit, John chose just these eight miracles. However, when you look into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find that Jesus performed many miracles. Many of them. But John only chooses eight. Why? Why does he only choose eight? Let me help you with that. Well, first of all, John's intent was not to give us a moment-by-moment detailed account of what Jesus said and did. Instead, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to write specifically for the purpose of communicating that the truth, the truth about Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah. He was the God-man. He was the chosen one. He had come to save the world from sin. That's why we've chosen John chapter 20, 31 to be our key passage that we're supposed to be memorizing as we go through the book of John. Can you say this with me? 
And let's do this. Let's stand together. And let's say this together. This is our key passage. Helps us understand what the book of John is all about. Again, verse 31 says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You did a great job. Take a seat. Very good. John, moved by the Holy Spirit, is writing down the words and the works of Jesus Christ in order to authenticate, to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's why last week in John chapter 4, when Jesus is ministering to the Samaritan woman, that he says these words. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. The woman said, referring to the Samaritan woman, I know that the Messiah called Jesus is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus clearly declares in his own words that he is the Messiah. Then John quickly moves from the words of Christ back to the works of Christ. And he goes on and talks about how Jesus healed the nobleman's son. So all the way through the first four chapters, John is laying down a foundation trying to help us understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah by constantly talking about his words that he said in his works. Now we turn to chapter 5. And here we find the third miracle. And here in this miracle we find that it's a very interesting one. You know, all week long I kept thinking to myself, why did John... Or better yet, why did the Holy Spirit choose this one particular miracle to be in chapter 5? So many miracles. He only chooses eight. Why did he choose this one? Good question. Well, there's two reasons why I believe John and the Holy Spirit, through John, chose the miracle that we're looking at today. Reason number one. This miracle marked the turning point in Jesus' ministry. It's the turning point. In the first four chapters, Jesus, if you will, is flying under the radar. He has faced little opposition. But the moment he heals this man, who had been sick for 38 years, this triggers the religious leaders to persecute the Lord Jesus Christ. And that persecution runs all the way to the cross. So this is a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is bringing this about. He's going in. And he's touching this man for the reason to take on the Pharisees, which we'll talk about in just a minute. The second reason I believe that this miracle is put here in chapter 5 by the Holy Spirit is to help us understand, again, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the Messiah has come to seek and save that which is lost. But before we get into reason number two, let's look at the first reason. And it's all about how the, how the Pharisees, the religious leaders, turned on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did they turn on him? Well, in verse 16, it says this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. The word Jews there and also throughout our passage is not referring to the Jewish people in general at all. It's referring to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. So who's persecuting Jesus? Is it the people? No, it is the religious leaders that are after him at this point. But why? Why did they go after him? Because of what he did on the Sabbath. So what did he do? Well, let's look at verse 1. Sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast 
of the Jews. Now, it doesn't tell us what feast it is that he's going back to Jerusalem to celebrate. But we know in Deuteronomy chapter 16, 16, it tells us that there are three feasts that every Jewish man is supposed to go back to Jerusalem every year and celebrate, all three. So I listed them there for you. The first one is the Passover. That happened in April. The second is called the Feast of Tabernacles. That happened in October. That's when they celebrated it. Then you have the Feast of the Harvest, which is between May and the beginning of June. So sometime between April and October, Jesus comes in to Jerusalem to celebrate one of these, one of these feasts with, an, with about, we don't quite know the number, but thousands and thousands of people have gone back to Jerusalem to worship as well and to celebrate these feasts. Verse number two. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and is surrounded by five covered colonnades. The word Bethsaida literally means the house of mercy. Tammy and I, my wife Tammy and I, and, and Jamie and Jared went out to Israel a couple years ago, and we got the chance to see that pool of Bethsaida. I'm trusting that those of you who are traveling with us this year, that you'll get that opportunity to see that pool as well. But it's named correctly. It's called the house of mercy. Why? Because of verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Verse 5. One who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Had been a cripple for 38 years. Jump down to verse 8 with me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews, the religious leaders, said to the man who was healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Notice that the religious leaders could care less that this man who had been crippled for 38 years was healed. What were they concerned about? They were concerned that he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Is that crazy or what? Now, to give you an insight, just help you unfold this picture for a moment. Remember, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at a time when the city had one of the biggest crowds celebrating one of its biggest festivals on its biggest day, the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do? We're going to find out. He intentionally goes over and he heals this man who's been sick for so long. He heals him. On the Sabbath. Now I tell you this. This man had been sick for 38 years. For, for he had a chronic problem. Not a terminal illness. Jesus could have healed him two days before and three days after. But Jesus chooses intentionally. Goes over and heals this man on the Sabbath. Why? Because he'd come marching into Jerusalem that day to take on the religious leaders. He came to take them on, head on. That's why he was there. And that's why he healed that man on the Sabbath. Now, why would he do that? Why would he want to take on the religious leaders? Because the religious leaders had taken the glory of the Sabbath day. Hear that. The glory of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was there for man, not the other way around. It was there to restore them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. It was there to bless man. But not anymore. Because now the Pharisees, the religious leaders have turned that Sabbath 
that was to be a blessing into a burdensome heap of rules and regulations that now weighed the people down. And Jesus knew that these Pharisees had hijacked the Sabbath and he came to reclaim it. And when he walked in that day, he was taking them on. I help, let, me, let me stop here about the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was designed, which we're having today, for man and for our relationship with each other and with God. It was a time that we were supposed to set aside in the first six days our workload. Put it aside. Don't do what you normally do in the first six days. And set a time, a time of rest and relaxation, a time to be with family, a time to really enjoy your relationship with the Lord. For what purpose? To restore you. To restore you physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. To restore you. Charge up the batteries to start the next week. Making sure that you are solid physically, mentally, and spiritually. And now the religious leaders have turned it into this craziness. I mean, they're basically have turned, the religious leaders have turned the Sabbath into a day where the Sabbath was no longer serving man, but man was serving the Sabbath. They turned it into a self-righteous, legalistic, religious system. And Jesus marched into Jerusalem that day to take them on. He healed this man on the Sabbath because he knew that these guys were teaching lies. They were teaching falsehood. And they were driving, actually coming to the place where they were leading people into hell. He said no more. And he comes into Jerusalem and he takes these guys on because the Pharisees, oh man, they were kings, guys. They were masters at making rules. They made rules for everything. And this is what they taught everybody. And you got to keep all the rules. All the rules. And that's how you get accepted by God, by keeping all the rules. Boy, how would you like to live like that? Keep all the rules. And if you don't keep all the rules, then you're not accepted by God. Because the way you're going to get into the kingdom of God is through your works. By being good enough. And if you're good enough, then God will accept you. How would you like to live under that? And they believed this. And so they, this Sabbath became the noose around their necks. You know what that's really called? It's called legalism. Say that word with me. Legalism. What does that mean? That means it's a bunch of man-made rules, and you've got to keep them. And when you're keeping man's rules, guess who's in charge? Man. God isn't in it. He's not in that at all. So those of you that came out of churches that told you you had to do all these things, all these things, that was a lie. That was called legalism. That is not what God's word has to say about it at all. We're in a period of what? Grace. And Jesus was coming in to enter that. He was, he was just uncapping it for everyone. So he comes after this. And this is what happens. You know, what, when I thought about it all week long, I kept thinking, well, what did the rules and the regulations that all these Pharisees taught everybody, how did it impact the Jewish community? How did it impact the man who had been sick for 38 years? Did it do anything for him? Nothing. You know why? Because God wasn't in that. At all. And that's why Jesus showed up. Thank God. Huh? Thank God. Because we know the end of the story. The, the, the Pharisees were teaching, you get to heaven by your works. I ask you a question. I ask myself, do you think you're really good enough to get into the kingdom? Are you really crazy enough to think that? No, I'm being real now for a minute. 
Do you really think you're that good that somehow you're going to earn your way into the kingdom of God? You've got to be perfect, my friend, to make that happen. Are you perfect? Say it out loud. Are you? Are you? Yes or no? no. None of us. How would you like to live under that? Every day you're sinning and you're scared to death that you're going to go to hell. Then if you died that day, you're going to hell. How would you live? That's why Jesus Christ came to set those people free. That's why he was taking on these crazy people. He took them on head on, man. Walked into Jerusalem to take those guys on, those liars, those fanatics that were nuts, taking those, destroying those people. He said, no more. Amen. And he came on and he took them on. And then what's he do? He goes all the way to the cross, everybody. He dies on the cross for my sin and yours. And then he walks out of the grave. And because he lives, you and I are forgiven and saved. He walks out of the grave. And when he walks out of that grave, we know now because the Apostle Paul says this great truth. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're not getting to heaven because we're trusting in our works. We're trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, to get into the kingdom of God. Amen? Thank God Jesus was faithful to go to the cross to set us free. Well, now he's trying to teach these folks. He's taking them on. So Jesus takes, on the, takes them on, and how did those Pharisees, those religious leaders, respond? Look again at verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews, what? Persecuted him. So the first thing we learn about why this miracle is found in the Gospel of John is to help us that this is a turning point to your Savior and Lord's life. And what happens? The moment he heals this man, the religious leaders triggers them to persecute the Lord Jesus, and it leads them all the way to the cross. Second reason is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So John is trying again... To help us to see that Jesus Christ, had came, he came to seek and save that which is lost. So let's look at reason number two now. Look at verse six with me. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Notice that this man is not in the story. He's not crying out to, to Jesus saying, crying out, heal me, Jesus, save me, Jesus, He's not crying out. He's not calling out for Jesus at all in the story. Matter of fact, he has no clue who Jesus Christ is. Why do I say that? Because of what it says in verse 13. After he had been healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what this man says. The man who, had, who was healed had no idea who it was. So he wasn't searching for Jesus. Jesus was searching for him. Look at verse 6 with me. Three words. It says, Jesus saw him. Can you say that? Jesus saw him. He was looking for that man. Now remember, thousands of people there that day. Jesus is all around in the tabernacle, going everywhere. And he walks over and he chooses this man. And he sought him out and he healed him. You know, when I first got saved, 
people would come up to me and say, Ed, did you find Jesus? And I would say in my mind, find Jesus? See, if you know my story, you know that my father was an atheist. I never went to church. I wasn't looking for Jesus. No, he found me. He found me. That's why the great hymn, Amazing Grace, says, I was lost, but now I am found. Jesus came. He was the Messiah, everyone. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Thank you, Jesus. So so Jesus was looking for the man. The man wasn't looking for him. And when he finds him, what's he do? He has compassion on the man. And he heals the man physically. Physically heals this man. And how did this man respond? Verse 14 and 15. Look at it with me. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, the religious leaders, that it was Jesus who made him well. So Jesus goes back to the temple after healing this man, goes back to the temple, thousands of people there. He seeks him out again. And he comes up to the man and he makes this statement to him. I read it one more time. He says, see, you, have, you are well again. You are physically cured. And then he moves from the physical to the spiritual condition of this man's heart. And this is what he says. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. So he's sinning. Everybody get that? He is sinning. He, didn't, he, never, he never stopped. He's sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. Wow, what's that mean? You know what? If I had been sick for 38 years and Jesus healed me, and then he came back and he started dealing with my heart, my spirit, I would have listened to him. I, I hope to God I would have. How about you? When you he, came, he, come, he comes again and finds you. Well, how do you respond? Well, first of all, before we get into that, let's look at what that statement means. When he says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, what's the implication of that statement? It's this. The man's 38-year illness was connected to his sin. Is that always the case, that, our, that we're sick because we've sinned? Say this with me. Say it out loud now. No. 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 Because we're in John, I chose a passage in John. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 says this, talking about Jesus. He went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He asked his disciples, or his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus says in this passage that it had nothing to do with his sin or anyone else's sin. He was sick because we live in a fallen world. And our bodies were not what they should have been. Yeah, you could say it had an impact because of the fall, but not because of his own personal sin. But there are times that we can be sick because we sinned. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 27 and 30. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body 
in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So like in this case, in the case of the man who had been sick for, 40, for 38 years, he was sick because of some sin. And what's amazing is that that man kept on sinning all the time. And I don't know what it is. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us that he was doing something and he had an accident. Therefore, he ended up being crippled or he was involved in something and somehow some kind of disease took his, his body. We don't know, but he sinned. Apparently, he continues to sin, and Jesus warns him and says, stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen to you. So how does this guy respond? How does he respond? Does he repent? Does he believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm sad to tell you, no, he doesn't. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who made him well. Now, why is that so bad? Well, in order to help you understand that, we've got to go all the way back to verse 8. You ready? Listen to this. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So this man had no idea, but now Jesus comes back the second time, tells him, I'm the one that healed you, begins to deal with him spiritually. He understands who it is. What's he do? He goes right out to the Pharisees, and he tells them, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And how do those... Pharisees, what happens? It triggers persecution. And in verse 16, it says, but because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews began to persecute him. Listen, this man was caught carrying his mat. And when he's caught carrying his mat, he knew that he, he fell out of favor with the Jewish leaders. So in order to save face, he gave up the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the story I just told you about John? In John chapter 9, when the, when the man was blind... Oh, they tried to get this man to give up Jesus, but he refused because he believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This guy doesn't believe. He's trying to save his own neck, and he goes out and he gives up Jesus, and the whole persecution begins. So let me summarize. You know, when you look at this story, we understand, we can believe, hey, it's easy to understand that the Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus. But to think that this man who had been crippled for 38 years and is healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he comes to him, gives him an opportunity to believe upon him, and he refuses to believe. That's amazing to me. So summarizing this again, it's saying that in the first part, reason why this is here, this miracle, is to help us understand this is a definite change in Jesus' ministry. He becomes persecuted. And number two, it's there to help us understand that he is and was the Messiah, and he had come to seek and save that which is lost. Now, what's that mean to us? Jesus, in those days, stood before a man and said, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And he didn't believe. Do we believe? You see, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just as he was there then, he is here now. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is in this room? Do we really believe that he's here and that he dwells within you? 
within us. We are called the family of God. Do we believe that he's here? Or do we just come to church and kind of look like we're going to the movies, you know? Let's watch Pastor Ed, and let's watch Jamie, and let's just see what happens, and let's leave, and let's clap a little bit, and let's walk out, let's have some popcorn and go home. Or do we honestly believe that the living Christ is actually in this room and dwells within you? Because if he's here, he's asking the same question that he asked a long time ago. Do you want to be well? No, I'm serious. Do you really want to be well? You see, when he asked that that question, he was looking for a response from that man. I know I've told you a story about my son, who happens to be here today. He was uh, in and out of hospitals 12 different times. 57 straight days, he was throwing up. Couldn't drink a thing. Had to put a tube down his nose into his stomach to keep him alive. And finally, the doctors took us in and told us they couldn't do anything for us. So my, my son's life was at stake right here and then. Couldn't do anything. And we were praying the whole time. And we had, you were praying as a church. I had churches and so many people were praying for my son, Jonathan. Until one day, a pastor's wife walked over and prayed for, that, for my son. And he was instantaneously healed in that moment. And I don't usually do this, but I'm... Since I'm saying this today, Jonathan, would you please stand and just stand? That's my son, Jonathan. You see, the same Jesus that healed in that day heals today. Now, in your mind, there's all kinds. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. See? Do you believe? I told you I was sick years ago in 2001. I got so sick I was out of ministry for nine months. God restored me, brought me back into ministry, healed my body, except one thing. And I cried out to God, God, would you take this thing, would you take this thing from me? And he said this to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Remember he said that to Apostle Paul? When he had that thorn in the flesh and he said, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, there's sometimes that God heals my son. Other times he never healed me totally. But here's the point. When you're praying, you're praying, and you're praying, and you still, you know what? You never know when you're going to get a breakthrough. So do I stop praying because I have this problem? No, I keep praying because I know that my Lord, if he does or doesn't, I know he is the healer. And I will not give up praying for my loved one or for this one or that one until he takes them home or, she, or her home or me home. Because my God is a healer, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the great truth. The great truth is that when he died on that cross, he walked out of that grave, he overcame death in sin, and he alone has all the power and authority. And when we die, we go from the land of the dying into the land of the living. And when we get there, we get a brand new body. At that point, all of us who believe upon the Lord Jesus, no more suffering, no more pain, we are finally set free. That's guaranteed for every one of you. Do you believe that? But here's the second deal. The second deal that I know some of you are are in this room and you have been struggling with a certain sin or sins for many years. And you keep praying, God, would you take this from me? God, deliver me. Forgive me. And you keep struggling over and over again with those certain sins. Listen, many of you know that I've been in the hood for a long time, 30 years down there, in the projects, doing what I do. And people will say, man, Pastor Ed, that's kind of crazy, some of the stuff that you do when I hear the stories. But i got to tell you this. This is the truth. Before I met Jesus Christ, I was crazy for the devil, I'm telling you. You think that's crazy? You should have met me before I ever came to know Jesus Christ. And when I came to Christ, I had a lot of baggage in my life. Tell me, tell you, a lot of baggage. You can ask my wife. 
But day by day, week by month, year by year, I kept going to the Lord and saying, take this from me. And little by little, day by day, he kept taking more and more of the baggage out of my life and began to set me free. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. But a lot of the things that were gripping a hold of me that I thought I could ever, ever overcome, Jesus Christ overcame in my life. Why? Because I had a desire for God to take it from me. You see, when Jesus came to the man who had been sick for 38 years, he asked this question, do you want to be well? Look right here. Do you want to be well? He was looking for a desire. That was a crazy question to ask a man who had been sick for 38 years. What do you you think I'm here for? You think I'm just here for my, my health? Yeah, I'm here to be healed, Jesus. But Jesus was wondering, have you had enough? Is your plan working? You've been here 38 years trying to do it yourself, trying to do everything that those religious leaders are telling by being good enough. Somehow by being good enough, I'm then gonna, God's going to accept me and heal me. And he's saying to him, no, no, do you, have you come to the end of your plan in yourself? Are you ready? Here, look now. Are you ready to surrender? Now, each one of you has something going on in your mind right now that you struggle with. And God is saying to you, do you want that really? See, this man had been crippled for 38 years. And he just kept on sinning. He wanted that sin more than he wanted to be delivered from that sin. Sometimes you can get in that mentality. You begin to think that there's no way that God can rescue me. Isn't that what the, isn't that what the Israelites, when they went out into the desert, when, Jesus set, when God set them free from, the, from, from Egypt, and they were set from being slaves, and they went out to the promised land, what did they always say to, to Moses? We want to go back to where? Egypt. They got into a mindset, no, I got to go back. They never really believed that they could be free. Only two people went into the promised land. Everybody else died in the land. They never believed that they could be free. Do you believe that Jesus Christ wants to make you well today? If you do, then you've got to surrender whatever that is. Come to that place and say, God, take this from me. It's like this. It's a true story of a man who was a great swimmer. He was standing on the, on the dock and some young man was drowning in the water. He went down one, two, three times. Everybody's yelling at this guy. Dive in and save him. He waits, he waits. Finally, the man goes under the fourth time. He dives in the water, saves the man, pulls him to the shore. Everybody runs over and looks at this great swimmer and says, why did you wait? He said, I had to wait until that man was willing to finally come to the place that he was tired, tired of trying to save himself. Are you trying to save you? You really think that this problem you've got, this sin you can overcome? Do you really think you can do that? You can't. And that's why you go to the Savior and you say, Jesus, I surrender. Take this from me. Do you want to be made well? Jesus is right here. Let's pray. Father, I beg you in this moment to take authority over anything and everything that the enemy would try to do to hinder these people. We as your pastors love these people, but you love them even more. God, I pray that those ones who are ready and ready to surrender, those ones who want to be prayed for, God, that they would come and they would pray. And God, you would touch them and you would heal them. For Lord, we ask these things together right now in Jesus' name, that you would do this for your glory and for your honor. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.